everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beelins and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We have with us my co-host and Hall of Famer, Steve Flink. Uh, first one back since Australia. Uh, been a few weeks off. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, you ready to roll? Absolutely. You're right. We, the, the, there were so many events packed in the last few weeks so that we we saw some some really interesting developments. Yeah, one housekeeping item uh, before we get going. Uh, I did release a pod down in Delray with two former uh, Illinois men's tennis players, um, Alex Vucic and uh, Alex Kovacevic. They go by Vuki and Kova. Um, They're both down in Delray. They're both doing uh, playing well. They're in the top 100. Vuki's a little higher. Um, For you Illini fans, it, it it was a fun 15 minutes. Obviously, I did it by myself. We were trying to get Steve down there. Um, Steve, I know you had another obligation that couldn't get down there, but but it was a fun one. But we're glad to have you back. And with that, Steve, I want to start. There were three coaching splits um, that happened since Australia. And I'll categorize this as the first one, eh, kind of indifferent, not really shocked by it. The second one shocked. The third one kind of expected because of the results we're seeing. So I will start with the first one. Um, Boris Becker, Holger Runa. Uh, I, I didn't know if that was really going to be a long-term thing, Steve. Well, you know, David, I didn't either, but I was hopeful because I thought he saw in Becker, he knew what Becker had done for Novak in a critical stage for him over a couple-year period when Novak really turned the corner and starting to win the majors again in that period in 14 and 15 into 16. And so I thought maybe they got up to a good start, some decent results last fall. I was hopeful and I was even more hopeful after Severin Luthi left the picture that, okay, now Boris got the reins to himself. So I'm not quite sure what went on there. He, he he wished him well, and he talked about how he didn't have the time to devote to him, but he would have made the time to devote to him if the circumstances and offers had been there on the table the way he would have liked. So that's that's unfortunate, because I think he was the right guy, actually. Knowing Rune's personality, knowing Becker's psyche, I could have seen that working. So I must say I was disappointed. The second one was, was I think, way more surprising to everyone, and that was the split of David Witt and Jess Pagula. Obviously, you know the great work that David Witt has done with basically he's two main players through his coaching career was Venus Williams and Jess. I think the reason you, you could look at it and be like, okay, he's maybe peaked with Pagula. At least maybe Pagula may have thought this. She wants to get through that quarter at a slam. That's the hurdle that she hasn't gotten through yet. Um, maybe that's why she thinks she needs someone else. Not that David can't get her through it, but maybe just after a while, hearing a different voice, as you hear athletes and teams often say. Um, that was surprising. But again, because Jess so badly wants to take that next step, and it's not like she's 22, 23, 24 years old. These next few years are really, really key to Jess's career if she hopes to make that jump. Yeah, I I was definitely struck by the parallel you just drew with Venus. Venus, at the time, Witt acted as if it came out of left field. He didn't know what what had transpired that led Venus. He was he was blindsided in a way, and I think he was again here. 
I don't, I don't quite entirely get it. I think he did a great job with Jess, and she was in the tour finals at the end of the year. Her ranking slipped a few places, but only because the likes of Rybakina and others just they played so well. She still had a great year. No, she didn't make get past the quarterfinal syndrome at the majors, but I, I that that was something of a mystery to me. I thought he'd done a great job with her. I certainly hope. If, and I'm sure she has her justifiable reasons that she finds an adequate or a better than adequate replacement so that she can make those inroads. Because I don't think she's satisfied, David, to suddenly break the quarterfinal syndrome and start making semis. When you played at her level, you know, you really want to see if you can win one or two of these majors. And I think under the right circumstances, she could. So I'm fascinated to see which coach she lands in the weeks ahead. She's surely not going to let it go for long. And I suspect she's got a lot of feelers out already. And I, I hope she gets somebody with whom she's compatible that can really drive her on to that next level that would enable her to compete for a major, starting with getting into a final and then seeing if she can pull one off. Do you think it was because of, uh, you know, the, she's gotten to the quarters and she can't get – she hasn't been able to get over that hurdle that again, nothing against David, but maybe just hearing another voice, maybe that could be the difference to get her over the, get could her through be. that. Next I mean, step. I think she knows she's honest with herself. I think she knows that if you're four, one in the third uh, against Von Drusseva and you're ready to be in the Wimbledon semis, he, he can't play those points for you. I've always felt like that. I never forget the famous conversation with Agassi and Sampras on a plane ride over to Italy in 95. And that was at a stage where Anacon was taking over for Gullickson, who was ill with brain tumors, and where Brad Gilbert was really doing Andre a world of good. And Andre, in the conversation, which was recounted in a New York Times magazine profile, talked about how much how impressed he was with Gilbert, with Gilbert's knowledge of the game and what he was able to tell him and what a difference it was making in his game. And, and Pete was, you know, somewhat skeptical. He wasn't questioning Gilbert's credentials, but he was saying, look, you're out there serving a three, four or 30 all uh, final set, second serve. They can't, uh, he, Brad Gilbert can't win that point for you meaning that he's always felt it's in your hands. You absorb what the coach has to tell you, but in the end, you're going to determine your own destiny and your own fate. So I, I, I think all players need to keep that in mind and, and not be too quick to blame coaches for losses that were really their own doing. And and then the third split, Steve, um, which I think just because of the results the last couple of years, um, you could kind of see it coming, and that's Tom Hill and uh, Maria Sakkari. So not shocking just because, I mean, I, I, Maria herself think, knows that she can um, have more consistent results going deeper in the tournaments, especially what she accomplished in 2021, being oh so close in two of the slams, um, that being the French and the U.S. Open that year. So that, to me, was not surprising uh, one bit. No, totally agree. And I think that's one where she – likely will benefit. She's had a long run with him, and now it's time for a new voice, new blood, new thinking. And she's had so many, as you know better than anybody, so many debilitating, just uh, uh, awfully difficult to absorb losses 
from winning positions. We've seen it time and again. She's a fighter and she never loses through lack of effort. But in the clutch, things haven't always gone her way. So she, I think she is wise to pursue that because there's been a pattern here and there could be somebody out there that can get her past that pattern and, and get her to be a, a better at closing out matches against her leading rivals. The uh, the one one other a coaching relationship that's not a split. I actually saw it in person when I was down in Delray, and we'll talk about Delray in a bit. But um, Ryan Harrison, who hasn't played on the Pro Tour for several years now, he's dipped his toe into coaching a couple different players. He's actually now coaching Jordan Thompson. So it was interesting to see Ryan back on court, not in a playing capacity, but he's coaching Jordan Thompson. So we'll see how that uh, coaching relationship goes. You know- He's got a good mind, David. I, I, I'm kind of encouraged about that one. I think that that's going to be a nice blending of the minds. And Ryan always always struck me as a very probing kind of person that he knew what he was doing out there. He didn't always execute. And he had injuries. And there were reasons why he didn't ever fulfill his potential as a player. But he's got a good tennis mind. I know that from having interviewed him. So I, I'm confident that this... This alliance is going to gel. And uh, Jordan Thompson that has shown signs in the last year of, uh, you know, the progress that he can make and his ability to sort of shift his game and come forward at the right times. He's a bit more versatile than a lot of other players. And I, I like I like this part, unionship. I like it and I'm encouraged. Well, well, it'll be interesting to see how that relationship plays out. Um, again, we, we haven't done one of these podcasts since Australia. So um, a few things have happened. Obviously, the Dallas event, it's an indoor event. Tommy Paul taking out Marcos Giron. Both Tommy and Marcos parlayed those results into having another good result in Del Rey. Um, Tommy made the finals. He just lost earlier today to, to Taylor Fritz. Marcos Giron got to the semis in Del Rey, lost to... Um, he lost to Fritz as well. So um, the timing of the Dallas event, the timing of the Dallas event is interesting to me because you go from Australia playing outside. You then go one week to play indoors in Dallas before Dallas. I think it was the New York open. Even before all that, you, you we always had the San Jose tournament. We had the Memphis tournament. You had these random weeks indoors and then you go to Del Rey and then basically it's outside um, until the fall season. Um Always interesting to just kind of have that. I, I I don't know. I mean, Dallas, you could almost play it outside. It's a little tricky, the weather this time of year. Um, but I was surprised when I was in Delray, I saw both Marcos and Tommy on site Monday night. So they had flown in from Dallas on Sunday after the final. They came, they were on site like Monday early evening. Um, and they just wanted to get a quick hit in just to get used to being outside yeah. again. Yeah. Um, so a little tricky for the players. Those are things that, you know, intricacies that maybe the, the, the general public doesn't, doesn't necessarily see or it stands out to them. But that's tricky when you go from indoors to outdoors. It is. But, you know, at least it's still on hard. And I think we saw in the case of both Tommy Paul and Marcos Garon that they made the transition easily. And what impressed me about both is it's very hard you can't bank on playing five matches in a week and being in the finals or winning the title and then realizing your schedule for another event the next week to try to keep this going and potentially be playing 10 matches in 12 or 13 days. 
that's what they were up against. And they both had great tournaments again uh, in Delray. It was unfortunate for Tommy. Interestingly, sort of the reverse of what he experienced against Tiafo, where he beat Tiafo two and two, and Francis could never get on track. He played by his standards a very poor match. Yeah, see, that was weird because you usually, if Francis loses, you're used to seeing Francis really battle and fight and climb. I don't know if he wasn't feeling well or something, but that was not not the fact that Francis lost, but the way that he lost, it just did not look like your typical Francis TFO out there that day. Didn't No, not at all. His shot selection was bad. His demeanor was very downcast. There was so little animation. The crowd tried to pull him out of it. He He played a what for him, I don't mean this harshly, was a second-rate match. But in turn, Tommy felt like it was one of his best matches of the last two years because he was he was hitting out so freely and not missing much. So that he was going to be tough to beat up under any circumstances, but it should never have unfolded the way it did. Very disappointing. And then in turn, the final. I thought this would be much closer with Fritz and and. and and Paul in the final, and uh, Taylor was on his game, and he never. I thought you know, the second set. I thought the even though the scores you could say were kind of similar between yeah. Francis and Tommy, and then Taylor and Tommy. I thought Tommy Paul battled in that second set. He I did. Mean, it was, had several break points at that three and th- at that three three game. It was a long three three game. Yeah, he couldn't break, and then when he didn't, the old pattern, right? You don't break, you get immediately broken. Taylor then serves it out. I mean, I think Tommy yeah. was 0 for 7 on break points. But to me, I thought the the quality of the final was way better than the, the semifinal match. Oh, it was. Them. It was. But I didn't feel like Tommy did himself full justice, as you alluded to. All those squandered break points didn't help. And he didn't look like quite the same player. Had he been, I think we would have been looking at more of a 7-6-6-7-7-5 match either way. But all credit for Taylor. He's off to a terrific start this year. He showed us that that uh, improved form over in Australia before he lost to Djokovic in the quarters, and he beat Sitsipas over there. And I have a feeling that, you know, I mean, I, I the more I think about it, the more I think he's going to hold that ground somewhere between 8 and 10 in the world all year long. If he can go past that, all power to him. But I don't think you're going to see him slipping out of the top 10, the with the kind of tennis he's playing right now. And I saw them on site and I spoke to Michael Russell briefly about it. And I mean, they were very encouraged how Taylor played in Australia, obviously bumped up against Novak. Um, But they were encouraged with the start of the season. Obviously they're continue to be encouraged with the result in Del Rey now. Um, Well, David, is it true that, that uh, when you had that discussion with Russell, that he asked you to join the camp and that you might be, now become an additional coach for him <laughs> i wish i had that offer but no not quite but um I, I, michael is one of the nicest guys he's been on oh, the a couple years back and i've just continued to speak to him whether it's just through social media or whether it's on site in delray um him and his wife are very nice people some of the nicest people on tour um one thing that, that sticks that stuck out to me and i i texted you about it steve um is that ta- the height of taylor fritz He's six five, and he's. I mean, like I didn't realize he was that tall. I looked it up after I texted you. I knew he was taller than obviously Tommy Paul and Francis Tifo. Those guys are not tall, so that didn't surprise me that Taylor was taller than them. But I mean, every time I see Taylor in person, I'm like, wow, he's tall. He's six five. That's big height on tour, Steve. 
It is big height. And we did have that exchange. I followed up with that with you, that there's a, there's a double-edged sword. He's got all this easy power, and he's got a fantastic first serve. And I love the way he laces into the two-hander. I love the follow-through. The forehand is a big shot. He can do remarkable things on the baseline, which he did for two sets against Djokovic in Australia, by the way, before physically he faded. But then I think the problem is, is, is he ever going to have the mobility? I mean, the Tommy Pauls, the Tiafos, these guys can all move a little bit better than Taylor, in my view. Taylor so, defended well today. He defended he did. well today. Oh, no, he did. In fact, I think he's definitely improved in that area, but I don't know what the ceiling is. Having said that, I just like I like the way he is playing. He seems to have, it's almost as if he heard the skeptics, including maybe to some degree us, that at the end of last year, you know, maybe Taylor hit his ceiling because I don't, I don't believe it anymore. I don't think he's going to make a big leap into the top five because I don't know how how many of those guys he can replace, and they're just they're too good. But I think he could rise a place or two, and certainly prove that he belongs in the top ten for quite a while. And, and we were talking about the draw in Australia. Like to say, you said there's so many guys that are so good. I mean, remember, he beat Sitsipas in the round of 16. Yeah, then right. he'd have to get through Novak. And if he got through Novak, he'd still only be in the semis. I mean, that's how hard it is. And playing the Annex Sinner in the semis. So <laughs> it, it's asking a lot. But his attitude, he's a true professional. And he likes to play a lot. And I think he's the kind of guy that knows that if he goes into a two-tournament slump, and it can happen to anybody, He'll make amends the next time around. And he's very, he's able to absorb losses as well as anybody I've seen at that level. And it seems he always is ready to get on with this. And I, I've been very impressed at the start of his year. I love the start of the year for Tommy Paul. Obviously, uh, among the Americans, Tiafo is going to be the big question mark now because this is, this. he did all right. You're in the semis. You can't knock it, but he, if somebody had told him you're going to lose two and two to Tommy Paul, he would have, he would have laughed at him and said, I respect Tommy to the hilt, but I'll take that bet. Because now, there is would... a coaching change with Francis, right? So maybe that's maybe yeah. sometimes you take one step back to take two steps forward. You know, him him and Wayne Ferreira did um, uh, some really, really good work together. He's no longer working with Wayne. He's working with Diego Moyano. So if, if the results seem inconsistent right now, maybe that's, because it's a you know it's a it's it's a different type of coach player relationship. It may take time. Let's hope that's the case because I think we all want to see Francis, um, you know, be a little bit more consistent and have better results. Definitely, and I, I just feel like Wayne Ferreira did a great job with him. Wayne Ferreira got in his face at times. I know this from interviewing him that he was very candid with him. If he didn't like something, he told him. Uh, I, I can't imagine that that in the end was why they split the partnership or whatever the reasons were so far. I think he's missed him. And I hope that the new partnership gels and that we start to see some, because Francis, you know, toward the end of last year, into this year, he had like an eight and 11 match record. His results have slipped as of late and he wants to make a move soon. And he may well do it, but I, I was surprised because I thought that Ferrer was a really healthy voice to have around him because he could praise him, 
and pat him on the back when he deserved it, but also go to him and say, you got that all wrong, Francis. What are you doing? And I, I think that's what a player like, like Francis should want to hear. We'll see how it all develops going forward. You mentioned Yannick Sinner a couple minutes ago. He continues his great play since Australia when he won his first slam. Uh, he wins Rotterdam, beats Demon Hour. Demon Hour is obviously playing um, well. Carlos Alcaraz played a clay court event in Argentina. He loses in the semis on clay. Um, I know people are like, hey, he hasn't won a tournament since Wimbledon. I'm still not worried on Carlos. He's going to be fine. Um I'm not one of those that's worried at all. Um, no, I'm not either. But it's interesting, David. I watched the whole match. Nicholas Jerry had almost beaten him in this swing of the tour last year on the clay. They went a set to Jerry and five all in the second set before Carlos pulled away and won that match. So he knew, and they had a tough four-setter at Wimbledon, too, that that uh, Carlos won 7-5 in the fourth, and he was down in the fourth. He could easily have been in a five-setter on his way to taking the title. He had a different reaction to this loss than I've seen. The quotes from him were very different. He basically said, this hurt me. And he went on to explain that he feels healthy, but he doesn't think he's kind of mapping out the matches very well in his mind. He's not taking advantage of love 30 opportunities. He did play a very bad first set tie break that put him in a hole and eventually got broken to go down 5-3 in the second. And Jerry despite some difficulties, held on and closed out the match. So I feel like that's typical of a lot of these Carlos losses. They're matches that he's in. They're matches that he could win, and he knows it. But he wants to break this losing pattern as soon as he can. I still can't believe that he won't. Indian Wells will be hard to defend. I, I get it. But somewhere along the line, he was going to get hot. My guess is he still may muddle through a bit, David, between now and the end of the hardcore season. Maybe we see a final out of him in Indian Wells or Miami, but that the real uh, progress may well come when he gets back out on the clay from Monte Carlo on. I have a feeling that's where we're going to see him start producing because there'd be enough time for him to put all this behind him and start playing peak level tennis. Because as he said about the Jerry match, he said, I played good tennis, but I didn't play my level. I thought that was a good description. It was okay, but not good enough. He will, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, like I said, I think he'll do okay. I mean, winning, whether it's Indian Wells or Miami, again, that's difficult. Um, the, the one problem with not winning since, you know, we said Wimbledon, is you start to eliminate the fear factor of your opponents when you don't constantly win. That's the one, if he doesn't, if he doesn't continue to start winning some of these tournaments, that can get in the way a little bit where the intimidation factor isn't there anymore against his opponents. So he wants to get that because there was a time there, Steve, if it wasn't Novak, it was Carlos. And oh, no, it was. Him. And that was true of the first half of last year, leading up to Wimbledon, the six titles. And yeah, he was great in Indian Wells. He was great on the clay. He was great at Wimbledon. So he was doing it on all services, building up an aura. And I, I think but my feeling is it's inevitable that he will start winning. And as soon as he grabs another title somewhere along the line here, then I think that habit of winning is going to come back and his whole way of playing the big points is going to start to change. That you and I know, and I think the, most of his boosters know, he's just too talented not to reemerge. It, it will happen. I agree. Um, on the WTA side of things, 
Iga Sviatek over uh, Rabakina, Sviatek's third straight, Qatar Open. Uh, that, that I mean, and we'll throw Sabalenka. Obviously, she won Australia. That trio of Sviatek, Rabakina, Sabalenka, that trio is not going anywhere. We've talked about that trio last year. It's going to continue into this year and into the foreseeable future. Um, I think those three are a little bit ahead of everybody else, even the Coco Goffs, even the Jess Pagulas. I think that trio is a little bit ahead of everybody else right now. You know, my only dispute would be I'd put I'd put Coco. I'd put I might throw Coco in there, but I see your point. Not Jess, but Coco. Given that she won the Open, given that she was in the semis of Australia, but there's no doubt that the three you mentioned are the true pace setters of the sport. With Coco, I think not far behind. But I, I thought this was a very important win for Iga. She'd had kind of a disappointing start to the year. Uh, the, she was in real trouble in the first set, down four, one, two breaks, and Rabakina managed to somehow smack her leg on the follow through on her serve. That hurts. That All tennis level. players have done that. That hurts. It happens. And so she took, she didn't complain that it hurt her later. She just felt the time delay hurt her. And I get it. You want to keep moving it for one. The next thing you know, it's four all. And then Rebecca and it did break again to serve for the set at six, five, but Iga broke back and won a very tense uh, pendulum swinging tie break, saved a set point, And then was terrific in the third, in the second set. So I just feel like that win will propel Iga again. On the other hand, doesn't discourage Rebecca, who's had a fantastic start to the season. So losing this final to Iga is not going to seriously get in her way. And Sabalenka, listen, I mean, Sabalenka is going to ride that wave from Australia and she's going to keep peaking for every major. And I do say this, if I'm going to call it right now, Sabalenka will end the year uh, uh, number one. Rabakina? And, uh, no, no, sorry. Sabalenka. Sabalenka, yeah. Finding the name. Sabalenka will build on Australia, win another major somewhere along the line this year, win other tournaments, and I see her squeezing past Iga for number one this year with, and Coco and Rabakina fighting it out for three and four. Yeah, that's why I questioned it because I said, Rabakina? I mean, she's gonna, she's top. Like I said, she's part of the trio. But yeah, I was, I would have no, been surprised no, if you picked Sabalenka. That. Sabalenka, but I just feel like, yeah, now, interestingly enough, she got killed by Rebecca in the final earlier in the year. It can happen, but that I I, I like, I, I just, I like Sabalenka's composure these days, and now she's starting to show that she's going to be right in there in every single major, so, but it's going to be fascinating to follow this for. They are all so capable right now. And Rabakina wants to prove that her Wimbledon win a few years ago was no fluke, and she has been proving it. Right. And you got Coco won the Open, and despite a couple of recent setbacks and, uh, since, including the semifinal loss to to Sabalenka in Australia, she's she's going to be right in there. So I mean, I I see a lot of interesting battles among the four here, who are going to really be fighting it out for supremacy all year long. And there's going to be, there's going to be some uh, unexpected results there. But in the end, I think Sabalenka is the one who emerges on top. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that one. All right, a few final things before we wrap up. Um, 
for those that follow me and social media, you know, I've covered Delray, the Delray Beach Open uh, the last several years. I have some family down there, so it's always a good trip for me to leave the cold of Chicago to head down there. Um, Randy Walker, I know I sent it to, to you, Steve. Randy Walker has a six minute video all about yeah. the Delray Beach Open. It shows about the tournament, shows about the restaurants and the fun stuff you can do on Atlantic Avenue. I mean, for those that are local, definitely go there. For those that want to get out of the cold climate, go. It's a it's a smaller, intimate type of venue. You're going to see the players right there, you know, 10, 15, 20 feet away from you. Um, it's so much fun. And yeah, there's good food and drinks on site. And if you want to take a break, you can go right out and you're on Atlantic Avenue. There's so much to do there. Um, I can't say enough. And there's always the possibility that one of our, one of our viewers on YouTube will spot you on site and have a conversation. I hope I was, I told everyone I would be down there. I said, (laughs) come meet me and say hello. Cause it's, you know, it's always fun meeting tennis fans and I've seen, you know, a lot of the same people there now every year since I've been going down. Also want to publicize um, one of your articles in uh, it's part of Advantage magazine. It's part of the racket sports industry magazine. Steve, you wrote a night, you you do a, um, you write an article in it every publication now. Um, but you had a nice article on Naomi Osaka. It's called Comeback Will Succeed. I don't think anybody disagrees with you on that. She played, who'd she play in Australia? Caroline Garcia, who's a good player. She yeah. lost to her. She just recently played her again and beat her in another yeah. good match. Um, Naomi's going to be back soon. And I know we didn't talk about her in the trifecta just because she's been, you know, uh, off the tour for a little while, well, she, but, um, yeah, we wouldn't be lost, surprised lost. to see her playing, uh, in late stages of, of tournaments and slams in the near future. Oh, it is. And she lost to, uh, to a, a two tie break match to Pliskova, a real servers contest. And then Pliskova, who had just come off a tournament win was, so was going to buy, go do some kind of an MRI. She was maybe hurting a bit after that. Was bad luck for Naomi because Pussy was in no position to play the semi. Who knows what Naomi would have done? But it was a good run to the quarters for Osaka. She's going to be there. I don't expect great results from her out on the clay, but I'm hoping that she does nice damage in Indian Wells and Miami, and then can from Wimbledon on I, that we'll see big things from her. I think by then she'll have enough matches enough confidence and she's in she's clearly enjoying herself on the court so much more than she did a few years ago the time off did her a world of good yeah. the results will come they will i agree all right well hey uh the sunshine double is only a couple weeks away we're, we're getting there there's a couple tournaments that are got to be played before them but um we're 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 right around the corner from the sunshine double i'm excited to to cover it with you steve and uh looking forward to uh, continuing the continuing the season right now. Yeah, David, it's been fun. This there was a lot to talk about this week, and there and there certainly will be in, in the weeks ahead. Thanks, Steve.